morning, good morning, happy and blessed Sabbath to everyone in virtual land. I am happy to be back in South Florida this morning. I missed you guys last weekend. I had to travel. And this morning, we have the pleasure of some company, Elda Farrington. It's good to see you. And we have Mr. and Mrs. Gordon joining us from up north, a little ways up north. Um, what I want to remind you of this morning before we get into our Sabbath school lesson is to like and share. Share with somebody, invite a friend, tell a friend, like and share. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to go into your word Father, speak to us, give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us clarity. Most of all, Father, give us strength that we will carry out and do as you have commanded us to do. Let us love each other just as you have loved us. I ask you all this, dear God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. So great lesson this uh, week. We are still looking at Genesis this week, we're focusing on the fall. Our memory verse is taken from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that is the New King James version. So in Sunday's lesson, we saw that the serpent, he is Satan, he is the devil, and he essentially lied, kind of tricked Eve. Beguiled is what is used. And me that I am, I looked up the definition and beguile means to charm in a deceptive way. And Sister White, in her writings, she did say he used his beauty to uh, lure, I would say, Eve into the state that she was in. Um, Revelation 12, 9 reiterates, and it says, and that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. And for us, when we want to articulate who or what, we say that or the, correct? And call the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He will cast out onto the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So as I look at our first question, Sister Kasha, our first question, we saw what happened to Eve. My question today is, how are we, how are we deceived today? Because we saw what happened. How are we deceived today? Good morning, happy Sabbath. Let me take this off because I glare, hate when I have to, but I need them for seeing um, when I'm reading. Um, we are deceived, uh, quite interesting, you used the word and look at the discourse with um, Eve and, uh, and the serpent in the garden. And I think when we, wander away from God's side or we start to um, uh, not be as well acquainted with his word, then we allow for the enemy to come in and to permeate our minds, thoughts, and feelings. And, and embedded in that is our inherent nature to things that we can see, taste, hear, touch, smell. And with that, um, the, the enemy just tries to take those devices that we have and use it against our, 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 our reason and our logic because we are passionate beings. We're passionate beings. And so the deception comes in when we kind of want something more than our desire to follow what is right. So when we want something more than our desire to follow right, we just need to have a cause, reason, or an occasion or an excuse to someone say, you know what, that, you know, that sound right. Or what you mean that we should not surely die or 
uh, um, uh, God says that you you know you're gonna your eyes gonna be are open, and you're gonna know good and evil. That's what the serpent said. And so now she's beginning to wonder and to to rationalize like, wow, that does look like something very tasty. Why would God put a restriction on it? Remember, we we are deceived when when our desire or when our lust for something somewhat outweighs um, our, 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 our guidance or what God has said in his word. So she began to desire the fruit and saw that it was you know, good for food. And because of that, you know, she was willing to listen to a lie that was not embedded in God's word. Now it's important to understand that when Eve was um, given her a recount of what God said, she added something that's very uh, um, important that we need to understand. She said, neither shall you touch it. Neither, neither shall you touch it. God never said that. And so if, if there's a book called Confrontations, and I'm asking everyone to look for this book because it give a clear discount or give a, uh, a discourse of what took place. When God had given them the command in the garden, Eve went to, um, she wandered away and she was audibilizing her thoughts. I'm just coming from the pen of Ellen White. She was audibilizing her thoughts and the serpent repeated them. And she thought the serpent had read her mind. And she began to look to him as one wise. And so at, in her discount, when she had added, neither shall you touch it, the Satan, the serpent uh, immediately plucked the fruit, the fruit off the tree. Now remember, neither shall you touch it, you should die. So when that didn't happen, he took and, 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 and bit into it and nothing happened. So now he, she think that he's something one is wise and someone that can be trusted. Now remember, it's all embedded in her desire for something that wasn't you know, in, in, in God's you know, um, course of action for them. And so the deception comes in when we want something, because if we don't want anything, if you don't have a, a taste or a habit of drinking and smoking, you won't be deceiving to it. But when you're wrestling, you know, well, a little wine is good for the stomach. And when you have these things that we kind of want to do, and then we find a, a, a scripture or a text, or we hear someone say, and then now that is counteracting, or we use that as justification because we want to do something. So the deception comes partly because we have a desire for it. And the other part is Satan is able to twist that based on our thoughts, feelings, our, our, our desire for something and twist that around to make it seem justified in doing so. Thank you. I like how you put it in there that the enemy will find something that we want. She And so often, um, we verbalize our thoughts without realizing that we're giving information to somebody else and they are repeating it or even they twist it a little a, a little bit more and we say oh my goodness they read my mind they know something that i don't know so yes sister kasha what would you add to what brother willie said Thank you so much for your patience and happy Sabbath. Great to be here with you all. You know, this story is so powerful. I love reading this story in Genesis. And when I think about deception and when I think about how are we deceived, I think, you know what's interesting? The enemy is very persistent, but he's not creative. He usually comes to us in very specific ways. He's not really creative. And those ways are usually deception, division, distraction and destruction. That's what I like to say. He's not creative. He stays within that realm, but he is persistent. So we have to look out for that. And when we are personally deceived, we allow ourselves to look at the choices that have been put on the table. Eve, Eve knew the choices. She heard what God said. She heard what the enemy said, and she made a decision that what God said was not right or it was not sufficient for her. And that how she, that's how she was deceived. And that's how we're deceived. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes I struggle with the word deception because deception almost looks like we've had the, the wool pulled over our eyes or we had no control over it. But what I had to realize in this lesson is when we are deceived, we usually have some part in that. Eve had two very clear choices laid out in front of her and she chose the one that she wanted. So in James, it says, 
But each person, when they're tempted, they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after their desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So that's how we're often deceived. And so we really have a choice to make. We have to think, what are the things that I'm thinking about in my life? Where are my thoughts? What is my focus? What choices have been laid out in front of me? And yes, we may have lies presented to us, but just like Eve, we always have the clear word of God. And so when we are deceived, we are looking at the two choices and deciding that what God said does not measure up to what we want and we choose the other one. So deception, you know, I struggle with that word because it seems like we have no choice, but we do. And so, like you said, choices, the choices that we make. When I look at the other question presented in Sunday's lesson, it says what the question is, what is our best defense against the enemy? Um, like you said, it's a choice that we make. Sometimes in our weaknesses, we fall, we falter, we stumble. So knowing this, and sometimes I think that we, we, we tend to forget that the Bible is our guide. We're given examples and non-examples. We're given the consequences of choices that were made up for us to use that as a lesson and apply it. So sis, I'm coming right back at you. What are our best defenses against the enemy? to know our best defense against the enemy, we have to go back to the word of God. And in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 18, it describes the armor of God. And we have to start there. And it says, put on the full armor of God. And I like that the Bible doesn't mince words and it doesn't add words unintentionally. So when the Bible says, put on the full armor of God, imagine if you were going into battle, but you were only protected with those shin guards and those, those metal foot plates where you just had a breastplate, but you didn't have a helmet on. You've got to have the full armor in your life. Otherwise, something is still being left open to injury and destruction. So this, this chapter and these verses go on to talk about putting on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. And I like that it says it that way because that means it's just a scheme, but we don't have to take it. We do not have to be deceived. We know up front that the devil has tricks. He's a schemer. That's what he does. And we need to be proactively aware of that. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the power of the dark world and against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. So put on the full armor of God. And it goes on to talk about what that is, truth and readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. I love it. And it talks about all of that, the helmet and the breastplate. So putting on that full armor of God also includes being aware Again, going back to Eve and Adam, once they realized there was a serpent, they may have not known what he was capable of, but they did have a choice to stay in the full armor of God, to stay in his covering, to stay in his light, to stay near him in the garden, to stay in communion with him. That is our best defense against the enemy. I like, thank you for that. I like what uh, Sister Stefflin uh, noted, she said, we are deceived when we start doubting God's word and try to change it to fit our circumstances. Then we are deceived. Brother Willie, that's exactly what you were saying. We, we twist it to fit what we want to hear, what we want to have in our selfishness. And Brother Mark was saying, good morning, um, our best defense against evil is the successful refusal to give into spiritual amnesia, which often leads us to forget whom the righteous one really is. It's easy to forget and behave accordingly again because we are looking to fulfill our need. And just like you were saying, Sister Kasha, our best defense is the word of God as it is. Very often we see, even in um, sports, 
especially young players, they are going out there and they are all guarded up. They have the, the mouth guard, the shin guard, the, the even tights for muscles. I don't even know what all that apparatus is. They're coming out ready to play. We have to take that same mindset when we are with, and we know that the enemy is seeking to devour us. We know that we just have to be ready good discussion now when we move to monday's lesson the forbidden fruit and what comes to my mind is as kids and we all did this as kids our parents told us you can have this you can have that not this not that and somehow there would always be a sibling that would say yeah she said don't eat maybe if we eat a little bit of it, right? Not so much. The question is, there, were, there was a discussion given to Adam. And then God spoke to Adam and we see that when Eve was faced with the enemy, she heard something different. She heard there were two conflicting messages. Like we say, the enemy will twist it and we will hear what we want to hear, right? What do you see? What are the similarities when we look at Monday's lesson? What are the similarities or the differences between what God said to Adam and what Eve heard from the serpent? Sister Kasha question. And you know, one of the things that the lesson brought out that I thought was really important is that the enemy did not just come in and start contradicting God off the bat. He came in with a question, but what was interesting about the question that he asked and kind of alluded to, what did God say to you? Eve repeated exactly what God had said, meaning even though, you know, I told you I struggle with that word deceived, she repeated back the instructions. So she knew Right. But the enemy came in and used some of God word, God's words. And as you said, began to twist them and say, you know, I know that you heard him say that, but that's actually not what's really going to happen. And then he started in on the lie after he used some of God's words. But another one of the differences that I wanted to point out is that Satan presented that God not only lied, but withheld information. And think about our human nature, any of us, whether it's at work, in our families, with friends. How do we respond as humans when we think that something has been withheld from us that we might actually want? And it's within our power to get. Think about how we typically respond. So now Eve is starting to think in a different way. Wait a minute, did God withhold something and not tell us? I thought that we had access to everything. Now she's doubting. Now she's second guessing because Satan presented that God lied and withheld that. And another point that I wanted to bring up is in the, even though we're talking about Genesis 3, in Genesis 2, God gave Adam and the woman, because she actually wasn't named Eve yet until the end of chapter 3, but God gave Adam and the woman the garden for two things, to, for it to be pleasing to the eye, the trees, and also to be good for food. But our human nature also, we have a problem with wanting more. And the, the problem came in, in chapter three when it said Eve saw that the trees were not only pleasing to the eye and good for food, but also desirable for gaining knowledge. They were never supposed to get their knowledge and their wisdom from the tree or from anything temporal. They had direct access to their father who was to give them all of the wisdom and knowledge they needed. But now when they started looking beyond his hand and his heart to the gift, to the, to the resource, not the source himself, that's where the problem came in. So we have a problem with wanting more. It was only supposed to be pleasing to the eye and good for food, but she added the, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So those are some of the similarities and differences. So you said it, that we forget that there is the source that we can go to and forget where we should get our, what we need directly from the source. And like you said, when the devil came and is, he said, well, what did God say? And she said, God said this, this, and this. He took that, like we said earlier, and he twisted it twisted it to make it to make it seem like 
she she was being you know like hindered from something like you said we always want more um brother willie is 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 your turn now um when people play on words and twist messages just like sister kasha was saying this happens to us all the time and in our 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 selfishness we we say like the enemy would say it's not that deep so to speak this is what the young people say it's really not that deep and especially more and more when we look at science and 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 innovation and people seem to tend to think you know what um i'm invincible i can do this i can go further it is very, very easy to get caught up in misreading messages and uh, forgetting uh, where where you stand and where you should be. Brother Billy, what would you add to that regarding the similarities and differences in what God said to Adam and what Eve heard from this the, the devil? Well, um, if, if you read carefully um, chapter three, um, you don't see here written where the couple is huddled before God and God giving them instructions. What you see there is that now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now this is Eve's discourse with the woman. And the, Satan, uh, and the serpent said, God said, you should not eat of the tree of the garden. So the conversation started with him repeating what God has said. And remember, I said before in the Ellen Weiss writing a book of uh, called Confrontation, he was audibilizing her thoughts and he, he re-echoed that and she was unaware of that. So the, the, the important thing here is that she knew that there is a prohibition in terms of eating of the fruit. Furthermore, she knew that when she did eat of the fruit, that death would come. Now, in the middle there, Satan harp on that and, and on her words, neither shall you touch it. And, and we get into the point here where it's really um, going to, um, where, um, I would say, tack along with that is the immortality of the soul. Because what, we, what we're looking at is saying neither um, shall you touch it lest you die. So when death didn't come right away um, for her, then she thought that there was some wisdom in that. And so she took and gave the fruit to her husband and said, hey, even though God said that we should eat it and you're going to die, I'm still alive and I eat another fruit. And so when we look at immortality of the soul, that there's been taught in, 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 in spiritual circles and in, in non-spiritual circles, so I would call it that, um, that we, we there's immortality of the soul, that grandma's going to come back or, you know, there's a state of the dead. That's what we're getting at, the state of the dead and how we know that when a, um, death brings about sin and a person after their um, breath has gone back to God, the body remains in the grave and then God comes back and resurrects, returning the breath to the, uh, to the body for those who will be saved. But when folks who are uh, adopt this belief, immortality of the soul, and that a person is ever living, you know, they can get spiritual guidance and you find that that's what Saul did when he sought, you know, uh, uh, the prophet and he got, you know, Satan in, in return. But he because he saw the figure, you know, uh, uh, of, of the prophet that he believed that he was getting information from. But there's so much embedded in here. Um, and it's basically because we look for the immediacy to happen and God and his wisdom and mercy. What if he died right then? then there have been seen that God has been too hard, too just, too exacting. And that's the charge that Satan had levied against him in heaven, that his commandment was too strict, that he's the God of love and all this. And so, so because of God's mercy, and we ought to thank God for his mercy, because had he been um, a God that would have executed um, punishment, justly so, then where would we be? Every time we sin, if the, uh, the Bible lets us know the soul that sins shall surely die. But he gives us a chance at repentance and confession. He gives us a chance to make it right. 
if God was looking to uh, extract vengeance or to be exacting, then there would be no need or we never heard of the word mercy. We would never heard of the word mercy. And because man didn't die at that point in time, but he died in spiritual death. And because that was something that, you know, we can't really fully capitulate, then we think that, okay, maybe we can take God at his word. And that's what's more important than all of this, that you can't trust God because he's dramatizing. He just over because over the top, because guess what? It didn't go down that way. But we 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 uh, throw aside or cast aside mercy and love, and because of that, we are not consumed. Before we get to the next question, what you did say that clicks to me is that because she bit into the fruit and she didn't drop dead. And maybe that is what it wasn't anything tangible that and this is so often, I think, how we are led into getting into a space of sin that you sometimes you don't know how you got there because God in his goodness, his mercy and his grace knows that there is a, a we know that there's a chance for us to still do right. So she, like you said, she figured, hey, I bit into it. I'm still here. You can do it too. And we we disregard the spiritual death that begins. We think, we sometimes think it's instantaneous, not necessarily. It's the spiritual death that we die when we start getting into and dabbling into things that we should not dabble into. So looking at the next question I wanted for us to discuss, and we're still on Monday's lesson, when you kind of touched a little bit on it, Willie, I'm going to ask you to uh, expound a little bit more on it. What is it that we know or we should know based on our faith um, in regards to the, the death and some of the lies that are circulating out there? What is it that we, we know when it comes to our nature and the state of the dead. You kind of touched on it just now. If you could just give us a little bit more on that. Well, you know, because of this, what took place in the garden and this, I would say not the immediacy of a physical death, then it is allowed to permeate, to give birth, to take root in people's minds and heart that, um, that there is a, alternate reality beyond what God uh, said, an alternate reality. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that sin brings about death. She mentioned when she uh, earlier, she, uh, my dear sister was quoting for James, uh, what uh, every man um, sin when he's drawn away in his own lust, and then uh, that brings about um, um, death, you know, when, when it's full. And so, you know, sin brings about death. What has falsely circulated is that because of God's mercy, that there's an alternate state of death. It's an alternate state of death. We have this thing, you know, people believe in purgatory. There's some middle ground. Um, we have people believing that you can communicate with those who are dead. Um, we have people believing that when they die, they go straight to heaven. You know, that, you know, grandma's in heaven looking down and she, you know, she came down and spoke to me. And and, you know, but because people can see me and all because of Satan can transform himself and because they may have been able to see at some point in time something represented a physical form of a loved one. then they believe they can communicate with the dead. The Bible lets us know that the dead know not anything. The dead knows not anything. And there is no ability for anyone to communicate with the dead and so what has lasted over time is because of god's mercy and grace people believe in this alternate reality in regards to the state of the dead and immortality of the soul the bible lets us know that soul that sins shall surely die and and here's the beauty of that because we have sinned it's not a permanent death if we confess 
It's not a permanent death we confess. And, and so he allows us to, because of our sinful nature, to die in our sin. Paul says, I die daily. We have to take, we have to, you know, shed every weight that so easily beset us. We have to die daily. And when we die in him, we can have the assurance because he rose from the grave that we will be able to rise again with him when he comes back. And so that's the beauty of all of this is that even though the soul that sins shall surely die, but you know, we understand that there's now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So just to add on to what was said, I'll, I'll very simply say, and that was very well put, I won't spend a lot of time on that, but I will say to add to that, um, the lesson brought out a great point, which said the two temptations of being immortal and being like God were the root are at the root of the immortality in ancient Egyptian and Greek religions. And just seeing how life has, has gone on since the time of the fall, people have really tried to create their own immortality. Because we did not take advantage of being immortal the way God set it in motion, it has caused humans to try to seek their own immortality in different ways. And our brother did a great job about bringing out some of those. So I won't spend a lot of time, but we know that there's only one way to eternal life. And that's through the way, the truth and the life, Jesus Christ. Hidden before God. And as the events in Eden uh, begin to unfold some more, they, they ate, their eyes were opened um, we see that there's a realization of the coverings that they were given. Um, what God gave them was kind of stained when they realized after the fact what they had done, what had happened. They started to point fingers, right? And our nature is for some people, they don't accept responsibility for the choices that they make. And we blame other people. We point fingers because we don't want to accept that. Yeah, we faltered. Um, and in truth and in fact, we cannot escape God's judgment as much as we would like to try, as much as we would like to um, say is because of hers, because of him. The question is, how did Adam and Eve justify their behavior and how are some of us falling into that same trap? We do it still. Um, we see and we try to say, well, I did it because um, this is why. What would you say to that, Sister Kasha? Another one of those tough human nature principles. And to your point, we see this very often. We try to pass the buck or we try to say it was someone else's fault, or I only did it because they did it. Yes, I did it, but if so-and-so wouldn't have happened, then I wouldn't have had my part in it. So you've got to look at someone else first. And so that deflecting, in this situation, Adam and Eve directly and also kind of indirectly blame God for his creation in opposed to just taking responsibility. Now, I will say that the lesson uh, talked about God's question to them as investigative judgment. And, you know, I would use probably a different, a different word or phrase. I think it was just an opportunity because I don't think that judgment came yet. It was an opportunity. Imagine how the conversation could have gone if God said, where are you? And they took a look at not only where they physically were in the garden, but what they spiritual, where they now were spiritually in relation to him in relation to his presence and said, I messed up, I'm sorry, how can you help me? How can we make this right? Imagine how things could have gone. Is that to say that there wouldn't have been a consequence? I won't say that, but there might have been more opportunities for more grace, more mercy with more admission of wrong. But when we don't take any part in what we've done, how can God even address us until we first have an acknowledgement of what has happened? So that where are you to me was not even the judgment yet. That was just an opportunity to tell me, let's talk about this. Let's make things right. Let's see how I can save you, how I can help you, how I can bring you back into communion with me. But they definitely had the blame game going on. But I will say, and I didn't say this in the first question, but to understand 
God's response to them. If we are going to talk about judgment or when we talk about judgment, you have to understand God through the lens of love. Everything else flows from there. When he disciplines, it's in love. When he asks a question, it's in love because he wants you closer. He wants you to do right. Everything that he does is through a lens of love. And I think that we have to start with that to understand all of his responses to them, including judgment. Yeah. You know, when you said that they were indirectly blaming God, I had that thought as well, because Adam said, it's the woman that you gave me. And, and, and initially, that woman was a blessing. But now that he had faltered, it's that woman that you gave me, sir, that caused me to do this. And even herself, she, she was blamed instead of, like you say, taking responsibility. When it came to God um, coming in and saying, well, where are you? Yeah, spiritually, where are you? Physically, where are you? And him having to me, he had Adam repeat what had happened so that Adam could see and say and recognize for himself, this is what I did. And we today, being an educator, and sometimes you realize that kids get into a situation and before they know it is mushroomed into something. And as an educator, I get my students to tell me, well, what happened? And what did you do? What did you choose? So that they recognize, yeah, I messed up. I, I, I could have done something differently. Brother Willie, what would you add to that? How are Adam and Eve justifying their behaviors? And how are we falling into that same mindset today? Uh, I, I'm going to take what the sister said. And what you guys said is being sufficient. And then I'm going to go another route. Um, instead of looking at how, you know, was plainly, um, plainly recorded in the scripture of each one passing the book, as was stated earlier, I'm going to look at it as the inability to rise above self. Get that? the inability to rise above self, because what happens so much is that we give in to our own um, procl uh, pro um, proclivities, our habits, our, our failings, our shortcomings. And it's like, if you have a, a weakness for chocolate, it's like, you know, you feel okay sometimes to judge, or you think, how can I overcome this? You know, I have a sweet tooth, or when we find ourselves in a certain environment, we find ourselves like it's, it's too much for us. And the Bible lets us know that there is no temptation taken to man, but such as common to man, that God would not suffer us to be tempted above we're able to bear. But with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. Now, the book was passed, but the, 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 it, it lied um, uh, squarely at their doorstep. The inability to rise above self, meaning that. We look at it, it's like my mama had a bad attitude or my dad did think this way. And we, we look at our, our, our culture and, and our nature and we think like this is who I am. The inability to rise above self. So we give in to self. We, we have this belief that, um, you know, um, how can like Nicodemus came to Christ and say, how can I be saved? You know, because the question was. Um, you know, say, hey, you know, do I have to be reborn again and all this stuff? But when we look at our our, 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 our failings and we tried the weight loss plan and we tried the, the, uh, the, the sin loss plan and, and we find ourselves back where we started from and we believe that we can't get any further. This is where I am. This is how I'm going to be. And when we adopt that mentality and we adopt that, 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 that mindset, then we find ourselves shackled and imprisoned by it. And we have the lust of the eyes. We have the pride of life. We have uh, the lust of the flesh. And we have, to, uh, um, we have to rise above that. And then the sister mentioned before about Ephesians 6, um, 6 chapter verse 11, by putting on the whole armor of God. And there's a sin in sports that says that the best offense is a good defense the best offense is a good defense and so when we can understand how to defend ourselves and we can find ourselves gaining ground but not only that when we put on the whole armor of god we have to be able to walk around with it or be used to it there's no use the problem sometimes is that 
we good with the whole armor in church. We come to church and we can sing song because everybody there has the same mindset. Uh, and uh, for the most part, you may have some some button of heads at church, but for the most part, it's like a good, happy um, place and space for us. But when we leave the four walls in, uh, of the church and go out to the, into the, uh, in the world where they're, they're, they're lying and they're cursing and they're talking behind us. And Christ says, don't marvel at that because the world hated me first and surely they're going to hate you. And so we have to be used to wearing the armor of God. We have to rise above self and it's self. The biggest enemy, I heard someone say, is the inner me. Our biggest enemy is the inner me. And if we don't rise above self, forget passing the buck, we have to look at ourselves straight in the mirror and say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. I have a desire and a lust for certain things. And if you don't take it away from me, I know I'm going to be lost. And it's through that pleading and through that uh, uh, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much, that strength is given to us. But when we give in to what our nature is, because we have, because of sin, have a sinful nature and we have to arise above self. Well said, we have to rise above self. I've said it before, I've said it again. It's some days it is an hour by hour, going back to God, resetting ourselves, fixing that uh, spiritual helmet, fixing that spiritual breastplate so we can always, always forget about self and die daily to self and recommit ourselves. Let us go quickly to Wednesday's lesson because we are running out of time. Wednesday's lesson um, is talking about the fate of Satan and putting enmity between um, the woman how can we, where is the hope of salvation for us in that message that when uh, the devil was cursed, um, where is the hope of salvation for us, Sister Kasha? I'll say for this, and I'll, I'll be brief on, on this day, but the bruising of the enemy's head indicates dominion and victory over sin. And we see more of that in Revelation and in other parts of the Bible. But I, I think it's important in this verse also, I think it was a revelation to Eve and even to Adam that they thought that their consequences or their actions were just going to stop with them. But they understood in this moment, okay, this is going to be, there's gonna be some generational curses that result because of this. Now we're talking about the seed, wait a minute. Okay, I thought this was just me and just my actions, but, Again, because God gave them dominion over the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, over the other living things, to me, the bruising of the head talked about restoring that dominion back to man and victory over sin. Well said, well said. Brother Willie, would you add to that? Um, is my mic on? I know it is. I want everybody to get real close. I want to look into the eyes of all the haters out there. Can you guys see me? I'm looking at all the haters. I want all the haters to me. And I'm going to answer your question. Where is the hope of salvation in this for us? See, we are all haters. He said, I will put enmity between the woman and the, between thy seed and her seed. He said, I'm going to put in your DNA to be a hater. The Bible says no man, no man can serve two masters, either going to love one or hate the other. And the problem is that when we get in bed with the enemy, there's no natural hatred. We started to indulge and we start to like the things that we, we're, we're, uh, we, 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 we take part in and participate in. But God has put that enmity, that hatred, and it lets us know that it's going to be a war. For there to be some infliction of injury, then that means that there's going to be some combat going on. Dasha bruised his head, and he's a bruise that heal. There's going to be a conflict. We are at war, the great controversy. And so we have to understand that we have to love God and hate our enemy. Paul talks about that this war going on in his members. He said, the things that I want to do, that I do not. The things that I hate, remember, 
He said, I will put enmity between um, thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Hatred. We have to be better at being haters, not haters of God, but haters of the enemy. And, and that means that we have to rise above self because self gets us in trouble all the time. And so the hope in salvation and all in it for us is that we have to understand and adopt that mentality that God has told us, love not the world, neither the things that in the world, meaning hate the world, not the people of the world, but he said, you know, he, he, he did give a description that that's all that's in the world is nothing to be desired. There's nothing in the world to desire. When we understand that and realize that he's gone away to prepare a place, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So I tell to all the haters out there, keep on hating, not God, but the enemy. So enmity is a very, very deep word for a deep hatred. And you're right. We cannot serve two gods. It is one or the other. And it's for us to choose. We can't be lukewarm. We can't straddle the fence. It's, and, and I think it is if we just stay the course and remember to seek God daily, every day, every time, and in all things, because you're absolutely right. Like we said earlier, he will not give us more than we can bear. And even when we feel like we're drowning in it, there is always hope for us. And because we're stretched for time, I'm sorry, Sister Kasia, we are going to go right to Thursday's lesson. Thursday's lesson was titled Human Density, uh, Destiny. And we it tells about the consequences that we have. And everyone in that fall, every participant suffered a consequence. Um, how is it possible that knowledge is bad? And if we give an example of how can knowledge be bad for us? So for this, I would say there's a, there's a verse that comes to mind in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 that the writer says, everything is permissible for me, but everything is not beneficial. And even though it was talking about some specific things, it talked about food, it talked about sexual immorality, it mentioned a few things in that verse. I think we can take that concept and apply it to some things relative to knowledge as well. We have so much technology available and knowledge available to us in this day and age. But we have to realize that taking a hold of certain things and introducing certain things into our minds and into our hearts can start a snowball. It can start a snowball. We don't always know what's inside in our heart. And that's why we have to constantly rely on the Holy Spirit each and every day to fill us so that when we have thoughts introduced, we don't let it develop and grow into something else and take us in a direction that we have no business in. So every day we have to die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit because there are things that come across our path sometimes because we go out and seek them, if we're being honest, and sometimes become because we accidentally happen upon them. But either way, there is some information, some books, some technology, some friendships, some ideas, some concepts that we do not need to explore. And when we know that and we're staying in constant communication with the Holy Spirit and we have on that whole armor of God, it is more easily blocked. But if not, it starts to sink in and snowball and grow into something else. So remember, everything is permissible, meaning we have access to everything. But that does not mean that everything that we have access to is beneficial for us. Thank you for that, Sister Kasha. Brother Willie, um, another end of another great Bible discussion. I am going to ask you to quickly just touch on Friday's lesson. Um, what is some, one thing that we can take away um, from this lesson of this week. And then if you could just give us our closing prayer, Brother Willie. Okay, so um, let, let me touch on that and I'll wrap it in. I like Thursday question all because when we think about knowledge, we think it's about something in terms of an academic exposure to information. But here, knowledge being about experimental and experiential 
affiliation or acquaintance with something experimental and experiential meaning that it's not academic meaning that when he says you should know good and evil that you experience evil and so when we look at it before that the only thing that was in the equation was good wars and rumors of war experimental and experiential uh, we talk about lying and backbiting, all the evils of this world, experimental and experiential. A man's foes to be that of his own household, experimental and experiential. And so when God says that, you know, um, you know, you, your eye, the, the, uh, the, the uh, Eve said the eyes should be open and should be knowing good and evil. Um, it brought about an acquaintance of all that is wrong in this world. And that is uh, so gravitating and, 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 and it's hard to wrap our mind around because surely Eve wasn't signing up for that. And surely we're not signing up for some things that we do, but because we do this thing, it brings about consequences. It brings about consequences. We're looking for a good time. Not a little one to, to, to nurse for nine months and, and, and to raise for the rest of our lives. We're looking for an opportunity to you know, get a little buzz, you know, not a DUI or, or, or to, you know, to, to uh, you know, kill someone in an accident. We're looking for an experience. But what comes with it is the consequences when we go afoul of God's law. And so when we look at the fall, we have to make sure that we understand that God has our best interests at heart. He created an environment, he called it Eden. He created and he put everything there that we would need. Isn't that something? He created everything and, 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 and he created us last and he gave everything that we need, meaning that God would give you all that you need. He said, you know, you've been evil know how to give good gifts to your children. You being evil know how to do that. What about me? And so when we look at the fall here, God, and even in our fallen state, will give us what we need. And because we needed uh, 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 reconciliation, because we needed salvation, because we needed redemption, for God so loved the world that what he gave, he gave us all that we need, and that is his son. And so I close with that. He has given us all that we need thank you for that elder um don't forget to go to our 11 o'clock uh join us 11 o'clock for our sabbath divine hour worship elder would you close us out with prayer please okay let's go ahead dear god never thank you lord for the opportunity you've given us to worship you in prayer we thank you for an outpouring of your spirit we thank you lord that you have taught us and that you have tabernacled with us in our discussion let us not be let not what we've heard and witnessed and seen be empty words, but that we will put on the whole armor of God and that we will walk around in defense of, uh, of who you are to us and in and, and offense of what you want to do in saving man's kind. Forgive us, bless us, and keep us. In your wonderful name we do pray. Amen.